Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here as always. Thank you for downloading and listening. Thank you for choosing to put me in your ears once more. Or if it's your very first Arscast, welcome along. This may or may not be representative of all the podcasts we do. I just don't know yet. I'm just starting. I'm just, uh, you know, beginning to make this one up as we go along. But it is going to be a busy show because we've got a lot to discuss There's a lot going on right at this moment in time. After what has been a a difficult week following a 2-1 defeat to Watford, and I just said that out loud again, and uh, it's annoying. It is annoying. That was an annoying game on Tuesday. Irritating. Sometimes you can look at Arsenal, you can see when they're not switched on, when they're not right. And that was obvious on Tuesday night. You could see it from the very start, the way they moved, the way they passed, or the lack of movement, or the lack of... Just everything in that first 45 minutes was terrible. It's so hard to understand exactly why that is. What is it that makes them just shit for 45 minutes when we know they can be so much better than that? We know they can be a lot better than that. But we're going to talk a bit about the Watford game and the consequences of that, obviously, and... The team he selected and everything else, we're going we're gonna to discuss that. I know it's not the most fun thing to talk about, but, you know, it is what it is. This is what we're here for. Our football podcast. Things go up and things go down. Things are good and things are bad. And, uh, you know, we're here either way. So um, we'll try and make some sense of that with our guest. Uh, Philippe Claire will be joining me now in a few moments' time. The other thing, of course, we've got to uh, talk about is this weekend's game against Chelsea. 12.30, away from home, pressure's on, Saturday morning. What could go wrong? Pretty much lots. Lots could go wrong. Lots could go wrong. Especially, you know, when you don't have... What's that thing that most uh, teams... uh, they like to have, and it's good and, and useful, and it makes the team work. What is the fa- what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh yeah, midfield, midfield. We don't have one of those, which is a bit of a bit of a problem, you know, because uh, they're useful, they're good, they help you control a football game, but we don't have one because. We've only got two, well, maybe one, what you would call established central midfield player fit or available, and that's uh, Francis Coquelin. 
Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain probably the man who's going to get the nod alongside him, but that's that's not ideal. No, he played well against Southampton, but you know, it was Southampton. It would have to be, I think, if Oxlade-Chamberlain was was playing alongside uh, Coquelin. It, it's going to require a coming-of-age performance from him in that role, which is not necessarily his most familiar role, but the role that seems to suit him best, in fairness. If that's me, uh, that's the sound of me there clutching at straws. But hey, what else can we do? We don't have anyone else. Aaron Ramsey? <coughs> Mohamed El-Nenny? <coughs> Granite Xhaka? <coughs> Santi Cazorla? <coughs> Of course, Jack Wilshire. Where are you, Jack? What'd you do that for, Jack? We could have used you. We could have used you now. Could have used you before now. You would have been quite useful given, you know, you're a midfield player who can play in the midfield that we, we don't have. But no, you didn't get in the England squad and you decided you'd go and play in Bournemouth. And we decided we'd let you. I mean, what the fuck? Why didn't someone just tell him to sit down and shut the fuck up and get his head down and work hard? Anyway, this is going to be a problem because uh, the the pressure of this game is enormous. There's no two ways about it. It is a game that could pretty much end whatever slim title hopes we have already or hopes of staying in the title race. If Chelsea win, they're 12 points ahead of us. 12 points. That's that. That's it. Game over. Toast. You're dead. Done. Dusted. Kick the bucket. It is an X title challenge draw there are nine points still and look doesn't look likely that we would uh, be able to to overturn that but you you know you're still there it's sort of touching distance six points then it becomes a little bit interesting just a little bit of doubt might creep into Chelsea's mind it's only six points draw a couple of games lose a game of course, it's uh, dependent on us winning. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, it's uh, you know, there's a lot riding on this game. We've got a lot to try and salvage after what we did in midweek. There's a lot to make up for. Whether or not we can do it remains to be seen. But if we lose, oh my goodness, that's it, it's done. And if we win, then there's still a lot of work to do and a... A lot of games to play, but it's, you know, it's not impossible that things might tighten up. And at least, you know, it would keep things, would keep things interesting. I know we've still got some Champions League and FA Cup, but, you know, the league is the, the bread and butter. So I don't know. I don't know. Can this team cope with the pressure of 12.30 away on a Saturday morning against Chelsea? If they can't cope with the pressure of 7.45 on a Tuesday night against Watford? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. If I knew, I'd tell you all, save you the heartbreak, or tell you to prepare yourselves for something awesome. But I don't know. I'm just going to have to experience it, endure it, like everyone else on Saturday. We'll see. But look, let's um, let's chat a bit more about this uh, with Filippo Clare. Uh, we're going to do this in two parts, so there'll be a little break in the middle. Uh, I'm not going to say anything, but we'll pick up the uh, pick up the conversation. But there'll be just a, a small break somewhere in the middle. Uh, but we're uh, we're going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about Chelsea. We're going to talk about Watford. We're going to talk about midfield and Aaron Ramsey, and also Arsene Wenger and what the future might hold for him in various 
scenarios and what the club might be thinking or not thinking. We're going to do all that. So um, let's do it. Let's uh, let's get on with the show and let's chat with Philippe Auclair. Hello, Philippe. Good morning to you, Andrew. Let's start with an issue that has been troubling people for uh, a little while now, and that's Arsenal's <laughs> slow starts in, in certain yes. games. Um, at the at the uh, at Southampton in the FA Cup, uh, can we draw any correlation between the selection of a pacey, fluid front three and the way that Arsenal started? And without wanting to say that it's all necessarily his fault, the selection of Olivier Giroud and a much slower start in the game against Watford. Partly, but only partly, I think. Mm. Um, I think we, most of us had the same reaction when we saw that uh, Giroud had, was in the starting eleven, uh, because you knew, obviously, that you were going to, to face a team uh, that would play uh, with all, all the men behind the ball, basically, and that... In those particular, I mean, unless that team was not well equipped to deal with the uh, aerial pre- presence of, of Giroud, uh, a better way to um, to attack that team is basically to pull it in, in, in parts of the park where it doesn't want to be. Mm. So you've got to make the pitch bigger and making the pitch bigger against a team that plays in his 30 yards is to go, well, first of all, quick combinations, quick passing, uh, but also width. And um, and if you've got somebody who is very static in there, which is Giroud's, I wouldn't say problem, that's the way he is, mm. um, you're not helping him and you're not helping yourself. And the fact that he was withdrawn at halftime, when honestly he hadn't been the worst of the team, not by any stretch of the imagination, as a matter of fact, mm. uh, showed that Wenger realized I've made the wrong choice here. But I think it's only part of the um, it's only part of the problem. I, I, I think yet again, uh, the idea that you could treat a game as a kind of a um, run up to another game has been shown to be one of the best ways to shoot yourself in the foot and not to miss. So you're, you're talking about the team selection that he made yeah. and the and the changes that he made. But I mean, absolutely made no sense uh, to me whatsoever. If if you've got a player who is on a hat trick. If you've got uh, Oxide Chamberlain, who is coming back, has been coming back in really good form for a while now, has just produced his best performance in ages, mm. Arsenal shirt, and there's a, it's, it looks very vivacious, very inventive, and suddenly you change that, and you know Ramsey in that position again. I personally, I, I can't. I can't have it. Okay, well, look, hang on. Let, let me come back to, to Aaron Ramsey because I want to discuss that with you in a little bit more detail. But just in terms of in terms of his team selection, in terms of personnel, I guess yeah. there were some mitigating circumstances because we, we, we've talked down the years about Arsenal injuries and not managing the players as well as we might. And mm-hmm. Theo Walcott hadn't played since December 21st, came back, did 90 minutes, and the manager said afterwards he was a little bit stiff. Uh, he didn't train, so he didn't want to start him. Danny Welbeck, of course, coming back after nine months out, more or less, starting his first game. So his absence is sort of understandable as you ease a player back well, in. So was mm-hmm. it was it more to do with personnel or system? Because he could have played Alexis Sanchez as his centre forward, and he could have put yes. Alex Awobi and Lucas Perez in the team, which would have made it much more like the team against Southampton. Yes, that's absolutely true. And... Um, the fact that Lucas is not quite getting the amount of game time that we'd like to him to have. I mean, I think 
All Arsenal fans would agree with that. Do He's you, been very, very bright indeed. Do you like him? I do, I do like him. Mm. I, I do like the way he involves himself in matches, the way, this positivity. I, 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 it's, it's obviously somebody who doesn't know. He's not a fearful sort of uh, attacker. I'm not, I'm not saying he's the best player there is. You know, I'm not saying that. And I'm saying his attitude is absolutely spot on. Yeah. And he's a, he's a fine finisher. He's a fine finisher and he's quick. And he's always looking for, for you know, the pass, the, the vertical pass, the, the one that will hurt. Yeah. And um, so these are qualities, especially again uh, against a team that is going to play with a packed defence. You can imagine him, you know, perhaps uh, having a bigger role. Um, yes, I mean, I take what you're saying with perhaps in the case of Theo Walcott. I wouldn't take it in the case of Danny, Danny Welbeck. Really? I mean... What's, what's the... Um, I mean, did he look um, tired and... I mean... He only played 60 minutes, in fairness, against Southampton. And and, and yes. I think when a player has been out for he that length of so time... Sharp. He's he does, so sharp. He does. But he wants to... Unless they know... You know, obviously, they know things we don't. Well, Could it yeah. be that, um, you know, he was really stiff, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours after the game and they thought, mm, we can't risk him. You know? Yeah. On the other hand, Ramsey uh, pulled out with 20 minutes on the clock. So there you go. Well, there you go. Um, so, look, I think it, it really is a question of system more than personnel. So why do you think that he reverted to that that particular system with Giroud there and with... Um, Gabrielle as well at right back when you talk about needing width and, and to be fair to him he tried his best to, to provide some width but he's not naturally that kind of a player no, as, a, as a central defender so I mean why why do you think he eschewed the option of of Alexis Lucas and, and Iwobi and went, went for Giroud is it like a safety first kind of thing does he just feel comfortable with that yeah, I think there's a question of comfort. There's also the fact that Giroud has had, you know, his goal-scoring record has been terrific of late. Yeah. Um, but, and perhaps he was not expecting that kind of resistance from Watford. I think there was a, a, quite a bit of it was due to underestimation of how Watford would perform. Mm. Because their, their, their recent run of results had been very, very poor. They'd been dealing with a huge number of injuries. Um, and and uh, you know who can you know when you t- if you tell me that Eunice Cavill is going to have a great game, I'm looking at you in disbelief. Um, mm. you know, <laughs> I think there was he underestimated um, he underestimated the threat that that Watford posed. But to be honest, we I think we're nitpicking here because the reason why Arsenal lost that game was not because of lack of penetration. Um, it was because they defended or rather did not defend. Mm for the first 45 minutes and that the, the midfield was completely out of position um, there was the runners were not willing enough uh, it, they were obviously you know put in, in extremely difficult situations panic situations by uh, a Watford team that had barely scored a goal um, in, in the previous games mm. um, and you know, uh, I, I, I'm, the, I'm absolutely frank. I was not at the uh, at the Emirates on that occasion. I was um, following another London team playing in uh, in Liverpool. Mm. Uh, but I, I watched that first half again. Then I stopped there. Uh, the, the Arsenal one, that is, because yeah. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's just extraordinary to see um, players out of position to that extent. I mean, there's a, if you talk about the system, mm. uh, the, the big problem of the system for me, more even more than the fact that it lacked perhaps the speed. Um, up front, speed up front was the way it was organised or rather disorganised uh, in what I would call the back um, the back six in front of a of better check. Yeah, the midfield uh, check yeah. actually it would have been three 0 at half time. Sure, the the midfield is certainly a worry at the moment, isn't it? Because 
Very much so. Uh, not just in terms of personnel, uh, but I, I think what we can say without uh, any real uh, fear of being contradicted is that, that Aaron Ramsey and Francis Coquelin as a combination is not one that works. It hasn't ever really worked. And uh, the other night, even if it was only 18 minutes before Aaron Ramsey had to go off injured, uh, it, it, it didn't work again. Um, I, I thought there was something quite promising about Ramsey and Xhaka because they seem to complement each other. But uh, Coquelin really only seems to work with Santi Cazorla. Um, yes. Aaron Ramsey only really works with Granit Xhaka, as as much as we can tell. So we've got a couple of Goldilocks players there for whom everything has to be has to be yeah. just right. And um, we'll come we'll come on to Ramsey in a second. But just in general terms, in, in looking ahead even to the to the Chelsea game and the midfield options that he's got, how how on earth is he going to sort this one? I, to be honest, it's a, it's a question I'm asking myself because Xhaka is still uh, unavailable. Ramsey's injured. Uh, El Nini uh, was injured. In any way, Egypt um, is in the final of the African Cup of Nations. Yeah. Uh, because he, he's, a, he's a kind of safety first kind of option. And uh, I think he's never really disappointed. He's, he's solid. He's not the greatest midfield player that you will uh, in the Arsenal squad. But um, no, it's uh, uh, will we see uh, Oxlade Chamberlain again in, in a deep role? We might have to. I don't think he's got any other choice. Are there any other options? I mean, I can't think of any others unless you... I don't know. Well, he, he has what spoken else, about... What else could you do, actually? I, you know, I'm going through yeah. the names in my in my mind and I'm thinking, well, what are you going to do? Well, it's Iwobi or Maitland-Niles or Coquelin. It's Coquelin plus Maitland-Niles. one. You can't have Maitland-Niles in the socks against I, um, the best team in, in, I, in, in the Premier League. Listen, I agree, but those are, the, those are the options that he's got, you know. Uh, so it's got to be... It's really only going to be Coquelin and Oxlade-Chamberlain, isn't it? Yes, unless you change the system, of course. Well, how how likely is that? That's not something he seems uh, inclined to do ever. Uh, as likely as uh, John Redwood uh, voting to remain in the European Union. <laughs> okay, so... so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terribly sorry to have mentioned that, Cunt. That's um, all right. And uh, I, I warned you. I had warned you. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Um, but... Yeah, well, you, you could say maybe a, a, a way to go uh, with that would be a four-one-four-one, for example. Mm-hmm. Just a single holding midfielder, and uh, to be honest, uh, I, 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 to be honest, uh, Andrew, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I think he must be tearing his hair at the moment, wondering what am I going to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have. Let's think. I mean, what is the most, the likeliest um, midfield duo? Coquelin. And Oxley Chamberlain. And Oxley Chamberlain. Mm. Which would mean that Cochlear would have to adopt a, a far more disciplined approach, perhaps, to his game. Yeah, he'd have to completely be the guy who sits in front of, of the Never, back four. Yeah, be the sentinel, as they say, and yeah. really patrol that area and not move out of it, which he's sometimes tempted to do. He can be quite rash. Mm. You know, he looks for interceptions, he looks for crunching tackles in that area, and you know, you miss you miss it, well, that's it. Do you think that's a job that he might be slightly better suited for rather than the one which sees him pushing high up the pitch? And you, you have to assume to an extent that he's being asked to do that job uh, by the manager to press high up the pitch, to try and win the ball back higher up the pitch uh, rather than sort of sit as a traditional holding midfield player because he, he yes. tends to be much further forward than, let's say, Jack or even Ramsey. You you look around and Coquelin is the guy who's further ahead and, and you would naturally think that 
th- those roles would be reversed. So, I mean, Absolutely. is that is that in his locker to be able to do that if Arsene Wenger says to him, well, look, this weekend, you, this is what you got to do? Uh, you, you were talking about the um, combination with Casola. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you have to think why. Well, when they've been played together, it worked, didn't mm. it? So if you have somebody who plays the Casola role, which is basically the deep line playmaker, and it's Oxley Chamberlain, um, could work. But again, um, it's asking a lot of, of Cochrane, to, to be honest. I, I don't think such a responsibility should be put uh, on the shoulders of a player who is willing, uh, of a player who is not perhaps the most disciplined of them all, a bit rash, um, who is dynamic. Mm. And I'm trying as well to think about the way that Chelsea line up. They, they, they pose a different problem. Uh, they're not Watford. Uh, they, they, they're not afraid at all to sit back and wait, um, as they showed against, uh, again against Liverpool, yeah. as they showed against Manchester City. Against the bigger teams, uh, they tend to have, a, I wouldn't say a cautious approach, because I don't think it's caution. I think it's just bloody well organized. Mm. But they, they, they are very quick to, to cut out space um, around the 40, you know, around the 40 yards and so forth, and then to project themselves incredibly quickly uh, by using the width and, and the, the pace of, of their wing backs. So they, they, they pose a problem which is completely different from, from other teams. Um, and the, the solution that we're thinking of uh, would perhaps work against another team, a team which would, a team which wouldn't be Chelsea. Yeah. Um, I have to say that I'm not... I, I, the, re, the only reason why I'm optimistic is because it would be absolutely typical that if <laughs> after losing against Watford, Arsenal beat Chelsea. That would be absolutely typical. And mm. then everybody would be going, oh shit, if we'd won last weekend, look where we would be in the table. Yeah. That would be so typical, Arsenal. Um, that It's a possibility, but on, on paper, it's a, it's a really tough one. You will need... A, I mean... Uh, against uh, a back three, what do you do? Uh, you you have to have you have to have width. Yeah. You you cannot play uh, without proper wingers and and a single centre forward. That doesn't work. You have to play a, a kind of four three three, or at least with you've got to pin the the wing backs back. You've got to have Moses uh, and Alonso playing almost on the same line as as Cahill, as Piliqueta, and David Luiz if if Luis is fit. Mm. So that means having uh, on, on, on the wings uh, players who are, who are quick and uh, players who are genuine wingers and can also um, beat their own man. There aren't that many like this, by the way, in the Arsenal team. Yeah. Alexi Wobby had, had, had a great game, by the way, against Watford. Yeah, he, a great second half. He really did stand out in, in that second half. Yeah. And he's, a, he's a young man who looks... Uh, you know, aggressive and brave and willing to try things. And uh, I, I think Arsenal lost a lot of momentum when he was moved back into the centre of midfield, you know, to bring on Lucas Perez, which you can understand. But uh, like many of the decisions the other night, it, it didn't really work out. But let's let's talk about Aaron Ramsey for a few minutes. Uh, I, I wrote about him yesterday on the blog. I think uh, obviously he's got issues with his form, with where exactly he fits into this team. And, and I think uh, to a certain extent, the criticism of him is is a little bit unfair, a little bit over the top, but it, it feels very much at the moment like everything that could possibly go wrong to him does go wrong to him, uh, and that when that does happen, you see, we've seen it down the years before with players that that, that, that there becomes like this critical mass of opinion where it, it's almost impossible for that player, regardless of how well he does or how well he plays, 
uh, to turn that around. And of course, when there is that that weight, that pressure on your shoulders, it can also seriously impact a player and how he plays. Um, yes. How, how do you how do you view what's going on with Ramsey and and the way that perhaps the last couple of seasons have gone for him off the back of that absolutely tremendous season in in twenty thirteen fourteen. Well, the fact that the player is, uh, suffers, the, the fact that the player suffers muscular injuries on such a regular basis, um, you know, and let's set aside the problem of you know the medical staff and the way that he's looked after. That let's put that aside. A player who has repeated muscular injuries will be, um, it will be even if unconsciously, he'll be very careful. Uh, as to what he does on the pitch in mm. terms of the effort, the sprints, uh, the repetition of sprints in particular. And he will tend to play within himself. He will try to play himself back in, and which is one of the reasons that why we haven't seen with Arsenal, and again, the problem of system here, but it's not just the system. The Aaron Ramsey we saw uh, with Wales at the Euro, who was so dynamic and um, so trenchant, um, we haven't seen him. Uh, it's not just a question of of, um, of position and, and, and tactical setup. It's also, I think, a, a psychological problem for the player himself. What is his best position in the team? Uh, he is at his best when he can do those late runs uh, in the box because he's one, uh, you know, he's one of the rare midfielders. You wouldn't say that of Coquelin. You wouldn't say that of, of Xhaka. You wouldn't say that of Elneny. You wouldn't even say that of uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Is one of those midfielders who can actually, you know, have the run uh, in the box and and score or, or 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 make the decisive pass. Yeah. But where does he have to play to to be able to do that? Um, it's it's a bit um, how to square a circle. He's been played on the right, which is not his natural position, and in which I think you, his qualities are the best used. Uh, no, I, I it's it's terrible to say, but. W- in that squad, it's very difficult for me to think of a place where he fits as a starter. And um, unless you put it, what, in a number 10 position? Yeah. It's not, It's not. by the way, um, trying to, to diminish the player or to say, oh, he's rubbish or whatever. No, 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 it's not of that. It's that in the way that Arsenal is set up, it's very difficult to find a way in which to fit a player who has got the profile of Aaron Ramsey, given the competition for places uh, in in the in the three supporting uh, the, the 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 lone centre forward, mm. um, and I think against as well, uh, he's not also tactically the most disciplined of players. I think that's fair. <laughs> that's fair enough. So when you're playing, and if we think specifically about Chelsea, if if you're playing against what, the team which is the best organised in the league at the moment, um, do you want somebody who hasn't quite got? the tactical nous and discipline on the field. Mm. You know, which is why I don't think he would have been considered, to be honest, if he hadn't been injured. So, uh, you, you, you know, think, you think at the, the moment it's all ifs and, ifs and buts. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry about that. But I, I, it's a question, you know, the, the, the fact that you asked the question, the fact that you, you spoke or wrote at length about, about him, you know, shows, but yeah, it's, it's a question we've all been asking ourselves for a, a very long time now. Mm. Does, <laughs> does there come a point where, the best thing for all concerned is a, is a parting of the ways, 
Or do, does does Arsene Wenger continue? I mean, there's I, I I there's obviously a reason why Arsene Wenger, as soon as he's fit, wants him in his team because he sees qualities yes. in Ramsey that he that he wants. He likes those late runs into the box. He's got a midfielder who who can finish, who can create. Uh, albeit he yes. hasn't really done that to a large extent for us uh, in the same way as you said that it, that he's done it for Wales. Uh, but, you know, Arsene Wenger obviously sees all these qualities in him and wants those in his team. But uh, c- can it be a case that that by doing that you you make things imbalanced and you don't get the best thing for the team and you don't get the best thing for the player. I I, I would agree with every single point you just made. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Um. All right. Well, look, let's. Sorry to agree. I am different. The rules for me are different. I watch my team play in a hotel. I am different. Uh, my assistant had uh, six matches stadium ban. I didn't touch anyone. I am different. Today I was told sit down or I have to send you to the stands. The rules for me are different. I am different. You know, you know clearly I am different. The rules for me are different, different, different. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, let's look at the title race itself. And obviously this weekend's game against Chelsea is one that could essentially end Arsenal's involvement in it. Uh, They're very much hanging on. uh, And I think everybody else... You know, it's overlooked is is just just about hanging on to to Chelsea because while there's some equivalency between Arsenal, I mean Arsenal. If you look at the table, are doing better than Liverpool. They're doing better than Manchester United, Manchester City. They have the same points as Tottenham. Um, so so that group of teams is is really really tight. And uh, yes. the thing that that makes this season, I guess, frustrating is that there's one team that is stand out better than everybody else. Or yes, or other teams which are not firing on all cylinders and have all gone through weird patches and strange patches. And the question is, uh, to do anything, you've got to put together strings of results. And um, that every time that it looks like it was going to happen, because you shouldn't forget before that defeat against Watford, actually, it was four wins and, and a draw mm. in, the, in the previous five games. So that was, that was good. You know, yeah, yeah. and you could say, well, you know, um, it's only um, it's only nine points. It's you know, um, it, it should be um, only six, <laughs> and it could have been only three. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, it's what I'm a little bit worried about is the fact that I I can see Manchester City finishing the season very very strongly indeed. Um, because they've I, gone through their bad patch. I think they are. 
Mm. And I think that very often the uh, the results have been um, misleading. Um, I mean, they 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 have sometimes played actually quite quite well. They've had, they've had a couple of crazy results. I mean, the one against Everton was completely mad. Um, I think Everton had um, four shots on goal and scored four times, and were actually they were great on the day. But I don't think you're going to see that Manchester City uh, very often. I, yeah. I was very very impressed with them uh, when I when I saw them uh, against Spurs. I must say. Um, and uh, that was a that was a very very high level game, and I can I cannot see Spurs putting the foot off the pedal. It might be that Liverpool, you know, carries on as they are at the moment. Only got um, three points out of twelve, so that's encouraging. United could are now three three draws on the trot. That's very encouraging and very funny. Um, and uh, yeah, it might be okay. And maybe the fact that we have a team in Chelsea that is so much above the others might make us a little bit overcritical. But then again, Andrew, um, I, I look at the, at the squad. I look at the squad at the beginning of the season, um, and, and, and I'm thinking of the games which have been lost, mm-hmm. starting with the one against Liverpool. And I'm thinking there's no way this team should be where it is right now. Have this number of points. I mean, it's two points per game. That's not that's not good enough. For, for a would-be champion. No way. Mm. And it's not because the others have been underperforming that, um, you know, what does it mean that Arsenal has been underperforming as well? Yeah. Uh, no, I know, I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. no, no, I'm fine. I mean, I think it's I think it's a reasonable point. Um, where, where do you think, you know, stepping back from it, uh, let's say Arsenal finish the season second and end up nine points behind a Chelsea side that have got, you know, close to 95 okay. points. Let's say okay, that. I'm biting your hand off right now. No, I know, I know. Okay. Um, objectively, if you were looking at that, you would say, that's not bad. Because the only one team can win the league, and the team that's won the league has played amazingly well, yes. and they they deserve to be champions. Even if, let's say, Arsenal do what they did against Leicester last season, beat the champions twice, there's a little trophy for us, etc., etc. But mm-hmm. subjectively, as we're looking at it, and as Arsenal fans will, will look at it, it is the 13th or 14th season without winning the Premier League without necessarily competing for the Premier League. So uh, th- there's context. The right yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's got to be some context added to that. So as we look at the the managerial situation and Arsene Wenger heading into the last six months of his current deal, as he is at the moment, his contract expires in June, where would that leave him uh, if we're going to look at it from that subjective point of view? From a from a subjective point of view, yeah. um, from a subjective objective point of view, <laughs> he's going to stay, right? Do you uh, think so? Yeah. Uh, from a subjective point of view, uh, I think there's a problem with um, the capacity. I mean, there are things he hasn't lost. He can still identify great players. He can still make his players play the kind of football that we all want to watch, and and so forth. Um, the recruitment. I mean, you know, we're still out on, on Jaka, we're a bit disappointed, but by and large hasn't been crap. Let, let's be fair. There's been some very good additions to the squad over the past few years. Yeah. So I think that side of it is, is fine. Uh, tactically, I, you know, he'll never change. We know that. He's not, um, even though he's now surrounded with this team of uh, analysts who feed him extraordinary precise statistics about this, that and the other, uh, he's not going to change. Uh, we know that. But what is a problem for me is the fact that 
it's not just not competing, it's the way in which you don't compete. And I'm thinking, well, the first 45 minutes against Watford, I'm thinking uh, about, excuse me, uh, about uh, the draw against Bournemouth. I'm thinking about uh, the win against Burnley. I'm thinking about the defeats against Manchester City and Everton. Mm. And I'm thinking there's, there's, a, there's a mental block here, or rather there is not, obviously, the capacity from the, the manager to raise his squad mentally, psychologically for the occasion, or during a game when things suddenly don't go that, very, don't go that well. There's a lack of reactivity in that team, unless it's too late. It just about worked against Burnley, but we, you know, that was a bit of a fluke. Let's be absolutely fair about that. Mm-hmm. But the other games I've, 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 I've named, I mean, there was a, a real problem in terms of uh, players being simply G'd up enough to, uh, to go and, and protect what should have been, for example, two wins against Everton and City. Yeah. I was at those games and I, I, I was flabbergasted by the way that it's a team that finds it very difficult to up the tempo or to change its attitude uh, unless you know it's against the Burnley and you know you're going to finish going to be frantic and so forth so different but against teams of a, of a similar caliber um, whereas those teams were able to raise their game and to find this extra little bit mm. the marginal gain in terms of aggressivity in particular um, you you you, you're not you, you're not competing, and that's what leaves you so deflated after a game. If you lose two one against Manchester City in Manchester, come on, this is not a, a, a humiliating result. When when you when you are ahead in that game and you're really running you know circles around the other team and you're playing in second gear and you're not able to go into third and fourth when need be, well, yeah. this is where you've got a problem. This is where you've got to question what can the manager do about that. And the fact is that almost every time it's happened, and I'm saying almost every time, it might be even every time this has happened this season, and very often in previous seasons, Arsenal has been found wanting in yeah. that respect. And this is where you've got to, to think, all right, this is the famous comfort zone. You know, uh, Arsenal is a bit too comfortable and you wonder if it's not a bit too comfortable to be an Arsenal player when it comes to um, underperforming. And is it also comfortable to be the Arsenal manager, it, it, would, be, it would be fair to say. Um, I mean, th- there is a familiarity to what's happened and a familiarity to the results and the performances. The Watford game was it was like playing Swansea last season. It, yeah. You know, it was like playing Swansea the season before. There have been games where this team has had the opportunity to make a bit of a statement about itself. That yep. yes, we are title contenders. Yes, we really want this, uh, and they haven't been able to do it. I mean, did you see the the interview Theo Walcott gave, where he talked about Arsene Wenger giving a, a rousing speech in the dressing room about how much he wants t- to win the title? Uh, he, he likened it to Al Pacino's great speech from from the film in, in I think it's Any Given Sunday, where he's the coach in the in the in the locker room and he's inspiring his men, and you're thinking, you know. I mean, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a, a a great speech or something that he. But why is it being put out there in the public? This kind of this thing, I don't. I don't quite understand it from the player's I, point I of view. There's, there's 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 more. Like, forget the talking. Tell that story at the end of the season when you've got a trophy in your hands. When you've got the trophy in your hands, absolutely. And um, I mean, speeches don't win games. I mean, think of. Graham Taylor's magnificent speech for, for England, mm. I think it was in Norway, which is one of the great, great rousing speeches that you will ever hear. 
um, didn't prevent uh, the result not to be exactly what uh, we would have wished. But um, the fact as well that you single out one occasion like that, then it makes you think, oh, oh, so it doesn't happen that often, does it? Mm. So, um, and he's never been that kind of manager. He's somebody who very much likes um, when things are not going well to, first of all, let the players, let it sink in in their players that they've underperformed themselves. He places, he treats them as, as grown-ups yeah. and he wants them to be, um, to take on their responsibilities. And this is how he discerns the players who are the, you know, the real guys from those who perhaps don't have a, a future in the club. Mm. Um, and that's one way of going about it. But again, with this particular bunch of players, the other thing that surprised me, I mean, coming back to Watford, sorry to, to go back about that. No, that's okay. Is, um, is that the, the reaction should also come from within the team. Mm. And who did you see who reacted in that first half against Watford? I mean, Mustafi and Kosciani were going mad, but they were going mad because nobody was protecting them, nobody was doing their job. But where did you see that, you know, it, it, was, it was personal reactions, it wasn't a collective reaction. Yeah. And um, in a way, the manager is also responsible for that. Sure. Uh, sure. So this is where the, the, the problem lies. I mean, yes, it is, it is comfortable. It's comfortable for the board. If Arsenal finish second, which is a possibility, you look back and you think, yeah, actually, um, objectively speaking, if you look at facts and points and so forth, that's actually a pretty decent season. Qualification for the Champions League. Chelsea was uh, way ahead of everybody else, et cetera, et cetera. But that, 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 that simply isn't good enough, is it? No. Okay. So what happens... What happens if Arsenal finish fifth? What happens if Arsenal don't win enough games to, to get themselves Champions League football? What happens if uh, they fall out of the top four for the first time in Arsene Wenger's time at the club? They've got the prospect of Europa League football next season to try and sell to their corporate sponsors and all that kind of stuff. What, what happens then? Because then it becomes much less comfortable for Arsene Wenger. It becomes much less comfortable for the board because however you can talk about, well, second to a team that's been great, but fifth when so many other teams haven't been quite as great becomes a much more challenging situation. Do you think that's a scenario that could lead to a change of manager? Not necessarily. I think the decision will come from Arsene anyway. Um, it certainly is not going to come from, from the chairman. Mm. Um, it could come from, um, from Ivan Gazidis, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I think the decision will ultimately be uh, with, with Arsene himself. Um, and... Knowing him, I, you know, I would, I would be tempted to say that he will be, in a way, energized by that. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Yeah. They will say, no, no, no I, I want to prove that it was a... a oh, you know, a my God. No, I, I can't say. I mean, I just cannot see a situation where if we finish fifth, I think the reaction will be will be such that if Arsene Wenger is making the decision, and we know that to a certain extent, uh, not just him, but football managers in general are a little bit like ostriches. You know, the head is in the sand and they're focused on their job. They don't really pay any attention to what's being said uh, on social media or Twitter. And, you know, you can understand that. But I think just the general sentiment will will be so... Yes. It will be so all-encompassing. Yeah, it'll be deflationary. And, you know, that will be evident in what happens in the ground. The way that people... As as the club um, could lose its star player. 
of course. And, and you know, you could imagine if Alexis doesn't have, I mean, if, if, if I needed to say the name, if Alexis doesn't have Champions League um, football next next season, mm. I, I would certainly never put him in the, the category of those who haven't tried hard enough for that. Um, if you lose, if you lose that, you're you're in you're in dire dire trouble. Um, I, I I agree with you. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, there is nothing that suggests that plans have been put in place to seek a successor. What about um, uh, what about um, is is uh, all the talk about Max Allegri? Is that just simply paper talk? I, listen, um, Allegri at the moment is not doing too badly, is he? No. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you could even say that um, for me, they're uh, in my top four uh, for for the Champions League this season, right? Mm. Um, I can see them doing something really pretty special. Um, I mean, yes, it would be a, a superb choice, but it's not available. To be honest, I'm, I, I can't recall how long he's how long he's got to left on his contract. To be honest, yeah. But but the difference, what I'm more hinting at, is the fact that, for example, if you take a, a club like Bayern, okay, I'm taking a very very big club here. Yeah. Um, when they had already prepared Heinke's uh, success, you know, succession when he won the Champions League, they had prepared Guardiola's succession before um, he, he actually decided to, to take a sabbatical and, and then to join Manchester City. They, they had plans in place. I cannot see that at the moment being the case with, um, uh, I mean, uh, even Chelsea had actually made a lot of work. I mean, the, the Conte had been, um, they, they had him in his sights and their sights a, a long, long time before he signed the, the, the actual contract. Yeah. And I, I don't see that. It's not the way that Arsenal have been functioning. To be honest, I don't know the way Arsenal have been functioning because when you've got a manager in place for 20 years, it's a kind of thing. It's a kind of a mental, uh, a, a kind of well, a mental situation in which you simply don't know what it's like to change a manager. Yeah. Nobody in that club knows what it is to change a manager. That's a, that's a really good point. And therefore... Who do you turn to? Um, do you turn to uh, well? Do you turn to David Dean? <laughs> Josh Kroenke can pick the next manager. Clearly, uh, Bob Bradley. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, Josh Kroenke, of course. But um, you, you need to have um, the know-how within the board and, and and so forth. And the only person, perhaps, who has this know-how, in terms of, I mean, who knows this his profession well enough, is Arsene himself. Yeah. Um, so and again, in, in in a game of of ifs and buts, there are so many things that you know s- seem to to point towards a continuation of the present regime, unless Arsene himself decides I've, I've I've gone as far as I possibly could, and puts into practice what what he said many times before, which is when I feel that I'm no longer able to manage that club at the level at which it should be managed when I don't think that I've got it in me to prepare my teams and motivate them as I, as I did before. This is the moment when I decide to stop. But he's also said, Philippe, that he uh, would have no part in selecting his successor, that that's not his role, that's not his job, which, you know, I think he can he can take as, uh, as fair enough. That really shouldn't be his job. So. No. It, yeah, here we are. Back to Josh Kroenke then. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I'd rather Andrew Mangan was was in charge of that, to be honest. But um, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that for a small fee if they're. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, uh, or, or, I mean, Gazidis, of course. Knows, sure. Yeah, but um, again, and it's a question as well of the. Uh, I don't know the the way that the club is. Um, it seems to operate in a, almost like in a bubble of its own. I don't get the idea of a club which is always looking outside to think, what can we do? Who can we bring to do this and do that? So they do it for, you know, they, they got a new scout, they got um, uh, a, a new uh, analysis team. Okay, that's fine. When it comes to the big picture, the strategy, I, I can't see anything. Mm. What I can see is a, um, it's a bit like a, a luxury shop, you know, on, on, a, on a high street or somewhere in, in Knightsbridge. It's doing very well, it's doing good business, it's got a faithful custom, but it will never um, look outside to open another branch. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, Arsenal seems to be very closed on itself. You, you don't get this feeling that, yes, they're part of the European elite, but uh, you don't get this feeling that there are things happening all the time. People are looking left, right and centre. And again, uh, for who's going to be the next manager, who's going to be the, I mean, the, the technical staff as well, the coaching staff. Yeah. You know, it's, um, the coaching staff has not evolved an awful lot over the years. Nor, nor the structures, of course, when you have a man in, in yeah. charge for 20 years, when you look at the way that modern coaches operate, they need structures around them that, that modern managers don't really do. Like Arsene Wenger does a lot of the work that you would have to get staff or new recruits in to actually do to help support a new coach. So it's... Um, yeah. Well, he is he is the coach, the manager, and the sports director. Yeah. All in. Yeah. That's too many. Mm-hmm. Regardless of, you know, the, the, the qualities he has, and which I will be the last person to, to deny, regardless of all, you know, his great, you know, magnificent record in many ways, he cannot do all these three jobs. But this is something we've spoken about so many times before. Um, and if, if he were able to do all these three jobs, Arsenal would have been champion probably, you know, last season, not Leicester. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we, we come, if we come to the situation when Arsenal finishes fifth, um, the, the question is how they will react, how Josh Kroenke and, and, and Stan Kroenke will react to that. Mm. Well, I mean, have they been so worried about um, situations like that in, in, in U.S. sports? I don't think so. No, I don't They haven't so. been exactly proactive when things were not going that well in their franchises, provided the bottom line was still what they wanted it to be. Mm. Well, you know, that, that's the thing. Will the bottom line, you can't sell Europa League football to blue chip uh, corporate people the way that you can the Champions League of course even if we all have I, I guess doubts about the way that the Champions League is going and how attractive it is compared to the way it used to be but uh, we'll have to wait and see but look Philippe we, we better leave it there they say may you live in interesting times we're definitely doing that um, especially mm-hmm. especially from an Arsenal point of view uh, thank you as ever we'll catch up soon thank you very much Andrew Thank you very much indeed to Philippe. You know where to find him. He's at Philippe Auclair on Twitter, at Philippe Auclair. And I'm not really sure what else I can I can add to that discussion. I'll try. There were a couple of little things that we might touch on ahead of tomorrow's game against Chelsea. 
the midfield obviously is going to be the important thing. Uh, how he manages to find a blend or deal with the absence of so many good players or, you know, put together a duo who haven't really played together before and we've no idea whether or not they're going to work together. That's obviously going to be a massive issue for him. But, you know, you look across the rest of the team, there's a lot of quality in there. You know, back four should be solid. A very experienced goalkeeper. Hector Bellerin back in at right back will make the team better and hopefully go some way to stopping Eden Hazard if he's playing. There was some talk of him having a hamstring injury, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, Mesut Ozil, hugely creative. We need him to do it in a big game. And up front, you're looking at him selecting... Alexis Sanchez as the main striker. That, for me, is going to be the key thing. That is what will give us a chance to win this game. Who he picks alongside him, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be Iwobi because he was so good the other night. Iwobi plus one. Will it be Welbeck? Will it be Walcott? Will it be Lucas Perez? It can't be Olivier Giroud up front. It just can't be him. And I'm not trying to blame him for what happened against Watford. But what I'm saying is that what he's shown us this season is that he's a guy who is capable of making an impact late in the game. He has done it numerous times this season. And when you think back to the Watford game in the last 20 minutes, you're going, you know what we could do with right now? We could do with a like Olivier Giroud kind of player coming on. That guy where we can look up and at least put some balls in there and, and, you know, try and win second balls off him, you know, cause a bit of chaos in the box. But of course, he'd already gone off because uh, either he was injured or, you know, the manager wanted to change things. Um, so I think it's it's crucial that we go back to Alexis as the main striker. I would be really tempted to uh, play Danny Welbeck with Alex Awobi. Theo Walcott from the bench, Lucas Perez from the bench, Giroud from the bench if we need them. But I think maybe that front three is the one that would uh, speak to me the most. I'd really like to see Lucas Perez get a bit more time. But just with Danny Welbeck, there's just, I don't know, there's something about Danny Welbeck and Alex Awobi. They really work well together. Uh, and he's got the pace and the power. And, you know, against the back three, just that movement might help pull them around a bit. So that's where we can win it. Um, midfield is maybe where we could lose it. And uh, he's going to have to pay really close attention to that because it is a very weak area of the team, relatively speaking, against what is, if not the best, one of the best midfields in the Premier League. Uh, Matic and Kante have been superb for Chelsea in this winning run that they've had. And uh, that could be the key area. So it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of a team he picks and, and what sort of a reaction we get from this team because they must know Uh, as well as anybody, that unless they win this, their title chances are extremely slim. If they lose it, they know that their title chances are over. Can they cope with that pressure? Can they react? Can they respond to the disappointment in midweek? Can they respond to the pressure? Can they hold Chelsea back into it? Is there more character in this team than we think there is? I guess all we can do is uh, wait and find out. 12.30 tomorrow morning that's the kickoff so uh, join us for a live blog join us on Ars Blog News for all the post-match stats and player ratings and hopefully we're all in good spirits and on Monday myself and James will be here with an Arscast Extra looking back uh, on the game and uh, what it means or what it all might mean one way or the other for what's going to happen in the rest of this Premier League season so look I'm going to keep everything cross fingers toes the whole lot so look uh, I hope you can do likewise not that any of it matters it's down to these guys that go out on the pitch on Saturday but hopefully hopefully we can do what needs to be done or at least not do the stuff that we shouldn't do to an extent whereby the stuff that we do do 
is successful. I think I think that's what I'm saying. I'm waffling now. I think I'm scared already. Anyway, look, we'll uh, we'll catch you over the weekend. Uh, catch you on the Arsecast on Monday, and of course here next week with another Arsecast regular. So until then, cheers. Bye bye. Estimate the power of the dark side. If you will not fight, then you will meet your destiny. It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. Don't make me destroy you. Oi, Vader! You've only cut one of his fucking hands off, mate! Where's that killer instinct? Saw you there, mate! What the fuck is going on here? He's filming himself at the cinema. What an absolute fucking twat. He can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! Come with me. It is the only way. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.